0: Well, hey, and welcome to episode 38 of the Gospel for Everyone podcast. I'm your host, Brendan Chrismer, and we're so glad you're here. Well, on today's episode, Jason, Josh, and I sit down and we discuss the 500 pounds of spaghetti that was found in the woods in New Jersey. Yes, you heard me right. We also discuss our identity as followers of Jesus and how it is that we are called to live a life with a sense of urgency. As always, if you've not yet listened to the message from Sunday, I do encourage you to go back and do so before continuing on in this episode because it's gonna help our conversation make much more sense to you. Well, without further ado, I hope you enjoy this episode. Well, hey, guys. Good morning. Good morning. Happy Monday. Oh, yeah. Good morning. Happy, happy Monday. Jason, you uh, shared something again this week that I thought would be fun to talk about here. Let's let's talk about the 500 pounds of pasta found in the woods of New Jersey.
1: <laughs> so I, y'all must not just listen to the news. I would listen to the news, and they share this goofy stuff. It's a terrible way news. to start your day. Right. I never <laughs> listen to the news.
2: What are you listening to the news just, on? It's
1: on like, the radio when I am driving into work. Okay. So like... On the what? On the radio,
0: yes, it's like so the I, thing with the antenna, right? Okay. So no Spotify on the country
2: station. On the country. So station. this is definitely going to be hilarious.
1: <laughs> okay, that helps. <laughs> that
0: were, I'm really
1: interested. <laughs> so last week they there was some lady in New Jersey who was walking through her neighborhood park and goes down a trail and finds. 500 pounds of pasta strewn out in the woods by the creek. And it was like, what is going on? Now, at first they thought it was cooked pasta because it was all... Well, it looked cooked. Um, Ended up being... 15 wheelbarrows of pasta that had gotten dumped out in the woods beside this creek, and then it got rained on, and so it all <laughs> blows up and makes it look like it's cooked. A little and more so al dente. They were trying to figure out how in the world, where did this pasta come from? Uh, any guesses? You want to think about how the pasta got into the woods? Uh,
0: I have a... I have a th- theory I don't know so there's a guy right now who's doing this uh social media thing he's getting famous on social media for uh he's doing this thing where he started day one and it was I'm gonna make a pasta I'm gonna make a batch of pasta with one egg and every day so I don't know if you guys have ever made pasta I like I love making homemade pasta so you do it's literally just a little bit of salt flour and egg yolk and you mix it all together that's how you make pasta uh, so he started with one egg and he said, I'm gonna do this every single day, but every day I'm gonna double the amount of eggs that I'm using. So by day thirty, you could imagine how many I mean, he's got cases and cases of eggs that he's cracking into this thing. So he's making, No wonder my eggs cost so
2: much. It might much. be his fault. It might be <laughs> uh, his fault. Come but on, it's man. Really cool.
0: So he's doing it, he's in Philly and he's uh, donating all of the pasta to like local charities. So okay. it's like all these people eating this really good fresh pasta. Um so that's my theory is somehow this guy was trying to get a shipment to Jersey, <laughs> inner city Jersey somewhere and it just like fell off the truck.
1: <laughs> well, that, that's that's not a good theory. Mine's no road.
2: Mine is that somebody had a doomsday bunker and we've been it's been fifty years now and they had all this pasta in there and it's bad. So they just dumped it out. And they're like, okay, we've made it. We're okay. And they're starting over with new fresh pasta.
1: <laughs> that is very close, John. Yes. That is so close. <laughs> so the story is that this older couple that lived in the neighborhood died and the son was trying to clean out the house and found all this pasta that they had bought during covid so do you remember when you couldn't find food on the shelf it was because these people in in uh in new jersey were stockpiling all of the pasta during COVID. And so he didn't know what to do with it and just took it out and dumped it in the woods. Because, hey, it's food, uh, the animals will eat it. And I'm sure when you just dump it and it's not cooked or wet, it probably didn't look like much. And then all of a sudden it rains and it swells up to a three-foot pile of pasta that goes for 60 Feet, why not just
2: right take feet. it to a food bank? It makes know. a lot more sense to I do that. Because pasta's shelf life, long time, uh, is a long time. Yeah. Especially with, I'm sure the amount of preserved <laughs> is. I'm, I'm guessing that uh, whatever the brand is, they were planning is. on
1: keeping it a while. They had 500 pounds. How do you buy that much? I don't know.
2: That okay. So that's 500 of those tiny one, one pound boxes. boxes. That's right. Yes. That see, this is why this is another theory. <laughs> Like, here in Prescott, like, Costco is for my family. Yes. Like, we bought a pack of English muffins. There's 24. We're going to finish those off this week. Like, we're going through them this week. Because there's six of you. Because there's six of us. We eat five a day. I I eat toast. I don't want the English muffin. But the rest of them eat an English muffin almost every day. We go through two to three loaves of bread, multiple things of eggs, milk, so we use Costco for that purpose. There's a lot of people, though, in Prescott that are older, and there's only two of them. Yeah. What are they doing with a 24-pack of English muffins? <laughs> it would take them months to get through that. They're not eating all uh, the bag of chips. That, so They're not getting through that. Before it
0: goes stale. And
2: it's before yeah. it goes bad. And yeah. so here we are with these long lines at Costco, because it's never not long lines.
0: After sundown. If you can catch it after sundown, it's yeah. it's much better. Yeah.
2: I don't like to go out after sundown. <laughs> I don't blame him. So I'm just always like this. It's but they, older folks love the Costco. They do. It's that it's wild. They can't get in my my mother-in-law. Costco. Come on, don't she
1: be ageist here. I my like mother-in-law Costco has so old.
2: much butter at her house. <laughs> it, it's obscene. I'm like I don't. You don't think you have to keep buying any. I think you're good for a long time.
0: I'm a bit of a butter snob though, so like we I'll typically use Kerrygold butter, but the Costco equivalent to Kerrygold, it's like the green pack of butter. It is fantastic. It's like Irish. Oh, it's, it's got, got an Irish really, name, right? right? Uh it's just the Kirkland. It's just the Kirkland oh, brand. Yeah. Nice. Uh and it's real. She's
2: got like good. the Irish organic butter. Yeah. And I'm like Butter's only three ingredients. It's not like it's a lot. It's pretty minimal. Yeah. So I don't know why it needs to be, anyways, but I bet they were buying their stuff from Costco. I (laughs) guarantee you that couple (laughs) bought it from Costco or Sam's. (laughs) They had 500.
1: 15 wheelbarrows full of pasta found in the woods. Was it different kinds? Fantastic. Yeah, I think so. So
2: That's even better.
1: You can Google
0: it up. There's great pictures. I'm sure there is.
2: Oh, fantastic.
0: Well, now that that's out of the way, let's uh, get into our message from Sunday. This past week, we were in Romans chapter 13, uh, verses 8 through 14, and uh, Josh, first and foremost, great job. You uh, you were up there preaching this week, and there was a lot of ground to cover, um, so uh, I thought you did a great job doing just that and leaving us with some really good questions on the tail end. Um, Jason, since you weren't preaching this Sunday, tell us a little bit about um, some things that stuck out to you, uh, and, and then we'll... Go from there.
1: Yeah. Uh, probably the thing uh, that I appreciated the most, the thing that was kind of the aha moment, I guess, was your focus on verse 10, where it says, Love does no harm to a neighbor. And, you know, we often think that harming someone is by something you say or do to them. But the reality is, it could be by not saying or doing something to them or for them so that was kind of a convicting moment of okay, how am i harming people by doing nothing how am i harming people by saying nothing how am i harming people just by um ignoring them or um, walking away from the hard conversation that's actually me harming my neighbor so that was a that was a convicting moment for me is what does it look like for us to not harm our neighbors? Um, And I thought you did a good job of teasing that out a little bit.
0: Yeah, that's really good. And I mean, that, that almost goes into something that we wanted to talk about too here, which is Paul's sense of urgency around some of this stuff, right? You know, the notion that, hey, if the end was near when Paul wrote this, how much more near is it for us today, meaning how much more important are some of these opportunities for us to really, truly, genuinely love our neighbors. So I thought that was really good. Josh, anything uh, that stood out to you as you were uh, preparing for the message or anything that we didn't quite get to and you want to spend a little more time on?
2: Yeah, the only thing that we didn't get to uh, just timing wise. So in Romans 1.14, uh, Paul used one fourteen. Yeah, 1.14. Um, Paul uses the language, um, I'm obligated both to the Greeks uh, and the non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. Uh, that is why I'm so eager to preach the gospel to you. And um, then in Romans 8.1, or Romans, I'm sorry, Romans 8.12, he says, therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it's not to the sinful nature to live according to it. And that same idea of obligation... Um, that word usage and phrase and verb tense is this same idea. Like we're obligated to pay our taxes. We're obligated to pay our revenue. We're obligated to give all of these things. And I also am obligated to love others. So Paul, I love the three times he uses this idea is I'm obligated to preach the gospel. And we talked about this at nine months ago. Well, why was he so obligated? Because his life was literally changed. And now Jesus had given him this message. So he's like, I got to tell everybody, anybody and everybody I can. And then I love, he used it again, that I'm obligated to follow the spirit, not the flesh. Well, why? Because again, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are now obeying the spirit, not the flesh. And then the next time he does it, it's kind of our mission, so it's like now I'm obligated to, because of those first couple of things, I have to preach the gospel, I have to follow the spirit. Now, I got, I'm, now I'm obligated to live in a way that loves other people. And so just that those three together were just really impactful for me and to see that and just thinking through Paul's own life, like those three things make sense um, uh, to me. And so uh, just thinking that it's more than just, oh, I got to love people. No, I'm actually... I'm obligated because of what Jesus has done for me to now do this
1: thing. So It is interesting to me to think through, and you and I talked about this a little bit, about how it is that I'm in debt mm. to love others because of what Jesus has done. Um, it, it's interesting, this this whole section here, obviously you mentioned he's quoting the back half of the Ten Commandments here. And we know that... The Ten Commandments are essentially broke down into two segments. The first part, the first five are all about loving God. The second five are all about loving people. And so when Jesus says, all the law and the prophets are summed up in this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, like that's all of the Ten Commandments. So you can break them up into that segment. In this last one These are all about how you love people. So Mm -hmm. he's addressing that part of it. This is what it looks like to love people. You don't murder, you don't commit adultery, you don't steal, you don't covet. This is all about how we love people. But I'm still trying to wrestle with how I am in debt to love people Mm. because of what Christ has done for me. And so I don't know that I've got a clear answer on that. And again, I don't know if you've thought about that anymore, but we've wrestled with that a little bit. And it is interesting... That that Jesus loves me, and now I'm in debt to love other people. So I, I don't have a clear. The
2: only thing I kept coming back to, being you talked about it, was like I tell my kids because I said so. <laughs> like God has told me to do it, yeah, and I'm supposed to do it, yeah, because I said so. I did try to think through the law piece. You know, the law was obviously given. The Torah was given to the. People, the Jewish people, for uh, their benefit. Obviously, if you do these things, um, your lives will be better. Essentially, you know, and it makes sense. They were coming out of Egypt that had all kinds of different ways to live, and part of what God gave them was a new way to live. Mm-hmm. But also, the law was given that if they did it, they would be a light to the nations, and that's what I, like, I keep coming back to this idea of loving others is. Yes, it's good for them and it's good for me, but it, more so, it will be a light in the midst of darkness that will draw people in to know how good God is. Mm-hmm. Like that's what I kept thinking about the that quote that Ken used a couple weeks ago or last week, uh, or that uh, just about how their lives. It wasn't their their look or it wasn't their uh, way they did all the things he said, but it was the way in which they lived that their lives actually surpassed the laws. And it stood out. And we know that from studying early Christian writings that they were the ones going to get babies who were thrown to right. the side. They were the mm-hmm. ones bringing in sick people to die. They were the ones who were giving their lives for people. And I'm like, oh. And the whole Roman Empire became Christian in 200 years, 250. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Right, So if it's just like, again, it's something like the, if you do this, your life will be better. So do it. But also the benefit of other people will see and wonder why in the world is Jason doing that for those people? That doesn't make any sense. Why would he love me? That's so weird. Well, let me tell you, man, I'm obligated to love you because Jesus first loved me. So, yeah.
0: Yeah, I kind of run along those same lines, too. Likely, a couple of weeks ago during a communion thing, I shared the story of Zacchaeus and a line from Jesus that stood out, you know, in the grumblings of the onlookers, the people that were saying, man, why is Jesus, this guy we think might be the Messiah, like, why is he choosing to spend his time with a guy like Zacchaeus, like the worst of the worst? And Jesus' line in rebuttal to them is, I came to seek and save the lost. Right. And I don't think that's changed, right? You know, Jesus has ascended so that another that's better than him could could come down upon his people, the Spirit. And I still think that's the desire of the Spirit is to seek and save the lost. And again, we are now uh, embodied by that Spirit to to go do that. And it's, again, out of obligation for what Jesus has already done for us. So um, it, it feels to me just like you just said, man, because... Uh, because of what Jesus has done for me, and because Jesus had a heart to seek and save the lost, I now have to have that same heart. And obviously, we do that through through loving our neighbor. We do that through loving the people around us. So it's almost just like this this parallel kind of delineation. From oh yeah, if you want to go seek and save people, I love them. Just go love them. Do yep. the things that that show you that you care about them. Like that's what you're obligated to go do now.
2: Yeah. So that's the- you know, it's wild just thinking through. We're like thirty verses, a chapter and a half. He's told us to do a lot of things, yeah. <laughs> like just reading. It almost feels overwhelming. It right? is overwhelming. right. You're like, where do I, where do I start? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and again, this is part of the why I feel like I'll never, I get why I'll never reach that perfected, sanctified self. Because all of the things you list, that one sermon from a couple weeks ago, there are so many things we couldn't even get to the back half of the things.
1: Yep, <laughs>
2: It's like, man, it is okay. But it makes sense because he's retraining my whole way to live my life. I'm so used to doing it my fleshly way, which I almost wondered if we shouldn't have brought back those jars because it was so I, – I kept thinking about the flesh and the spirit again, mm-hmm. like seeing those two things in to the end that like don't even think about how to gratify the flesh it's but that's so easy it's so much harder to
0: that's natural yes that's what comes naturally Mm -hmm. yeah no yeah that's really good um we did get one question in that i wanted to spend some time talking about here um and it really comes down to this idea of loving your neighbor Um, as yourself here. Here's what this um, listener said. They said, I think that you're right. I think the majority of people love themselves more than they ought to and are way more, uh, way too selfish. However, I think there's a growing percentage of people who actually have a hard time loving themselves. Uh, Suicide rates are up. Some people want to be uh, someone else. The majority have insecurities or are uh, deeply depressed uh, the verse to love your neighbor as yourself can be confusing for someone battling hopelessness, uh, also you know self-deprecation or self-loathing. What do you say to those types of people to encourage them to love them, their neighbor as themselves? So let's talk a little bit about this uh, this idea.
1: Well, I think there is uh, some clinical uh, mental health issues that would preclude people from truly loving themselves. We understand that. There are are anxiety and depression and um, anorexia. I mean, all of these things come out of a a broken view of self that causes us to not view ourselves in the way that God does. So in those instances, I, I think, obviously... You need to figure out um whether it's a health thing or an I'm sorry a mental health thing or a physical health thing sometimes it's chemicals some sometimes it's emotional like there there are legitimate people who struggle in that area and and need to seek help to figure out what it looks like to love God to see themselves as God has seen them um I would say though that I think that's the minority of people um, even those who struggle with their uh, you the the question the person who asked the question mentioned uh, people who uh, view themselves wrongly or view themselves differently uh, even those people though are seeking to love themselves more than they love others by pursuing their their version of how they see themselves and wanting everybody else to see them that way and fighting for the right to have their own pronouns or gender identity or gender trans, uh, 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 gender transition surgeries or whatever. That is them seeking themselves. They're wanting to make sure that they above everybody else, they are loving themselves to make sure that they feel good about who they are And again, the question is all about, okay, how do I put that aside, put somebody else first? Like, again, we're, it's, there, there, it is true. But again, I just think it's a small minority of people. And I think most of us, if we just, again, just look at ourselves and not try to point this to the world out there, just look at ourselves. Most of us aren't struggling with loving ourselves. We're making sure that we're taken care of. We're making sure there's enough in our bank account. We're making sure that our house is comfortable. We're making sure that we have around us the people that we want. We go out of our way to avoid anything that's gonna bring discomfort to us. We go out of our way to pursue the joys in our life, whether they're godly or not. Like we we don't struggle. I just think there's a very small minority of people who, who legitimately struggle. Even those who don't like themselves still do what they want to do and still do what their flesh desires for them to do, what they think is going to make them happy, even if it's actually bringing destruction on themselves. So I'd, I would just I just push back on the idea that this is a real catastrophic issue in our culture there are some for sure i think there's more of a, a struggle of of us truly actually loving people as we love ourselves like this goes back to whitney houston in the 80s so i know you guys probably don't even remember this but
2: i do think she's like top two or three singers of all time right for But sure. do
1: you remember the song that she sang that goes along with this idea the greatest love of all is it me is me, me loving me. That's the greatest love of all. I can't, and some people even justify themselves by looking at this verse and saying, Oh, love others as I love myself. Well, then I can't really love others until I really love myself. So I need to work on the loving myself piece before I, and I'm like, You're just totally missing everything that. Paul is talking about and Jesus is talking about? They're talking about lay down your life for one another, lay down your rights for one another. I mean, go to Philippians chapter two. What is the picture of loving other people? It is the picture of laying down yourself. Uh, Greater love has no man than this, that a man would lay down his life for his brothers. Like, it isn't that we love ourselves to the nth degree and then we can love others to the nth degree. No, no, no. It's love others to the nth degree and lay down your own life. Like that's the biblical picture over and over and over again. So I get it. Again, there are some who with who have mental health issues that really do struggle with loving themselves and seeing themselves properly. That is true. And that, there is no... no Nobody should have to go through that. And I hate it for people that do. Um, and those people should seek help and healing from professionals to, to try to work through that. But I just don't think that's the majority of
0: people. And just to clarify, neither do they, no one said it was the majority. They actually, yeah. in the question, the person asking the question did say mostly people love themselves too much, yeah. but there is a small percentage. Yeah. So I just want to make sure that yeah. uh, the person who wrote in the question gets that we, uh, we do understand the question. Yeah. Um. But the reality is, I mean, yeah, there is a small percentage, just like they pointed out, that do have a really hard time with a uh, right view of self. Right. And in, that's kind of the, I think that's probably the anecdote, which is what they're asking. Like, hey, what would we say to encourage those who do fall into that very small sliver of the pie? And more often than not, it's, okay, how can we help a person get a right view of self in God's eyes? Mm. Like, how do we help someone else understand the way that God sees them? through scripture, right? What are all the things that God says about you as an individual? Like, like that you're his child, but actually he put himself on the line by adopting you into sonship. Like actually he put his son on the line by sending him to the cross so that you might be reconciled in a relationship with him. So I think that's probably the, uh, where I would start in trying to answer this question. Obviously there are plenty of uh, professionals that can help walk you through a process to get a more right view of self in God's eyes um, from a biblical perspective, but a lot of the times it just starts with that, um, starts with getting there. But.
2: I think uh, even, so even if I don't have a, uh, I mean, I typically don't, I don't have the mental health struggles. It's not something that um, I wrestle through, but I think through my teenage years, early 20s, I still had an identity issue. I still had a wrong view of self. Mm-hmm. Um, I still had a, a, which then impacted even how I would love other people because my identity was all a mess, right? And so I do think it does come back to for all of us that we do have an identity that rests as first and foremost a follower of Jesus because when that gets out of whack, uh, everything gets out of whack, right? If If I only think of myself as a business person, then everything I do is based off of that decision. Like that's the, right? And so I'll sacrifice family, I'll sacrifice health, I'll sacrifice all kinds of things because my identity rests in this. For me, it was a football player, right? That was my identity. So I made choices that were counterproductive to me following Jesus because I saw myself only as that. When I stripped all that away and it was only Jesus and I see myself as that, then when he calls me to go serve other people, it's a lot easier because I'm not battling my flesh and my wrong. Well, wait a minute, this doesn't fit my preconceived view of myself. So I think all of us do have some of that identity, but it's based off of my, my own selfishness of how I see myself instead of first seeing myself as a, a believer and a follower of Jesus, right? So that is where my identity lies. And so if he calls me to lay things down, if I'm truly seeking to follow him, it is a little bit easier. I'm not saying it's completely easy, but if I'm only focused on seeing myself as all those other things, it makes it so much tougher. So mm-hmm. <clears throat> even if you don't have mental health issues, you, your identity is still probably all out of whack, right? You see yourself as a mom or as a dad. And those things are great. Don't get me wrong. But like I'm a follower of Jesus first. Yeah. I think of that book, can't remember who wrote it. It was the mid 2000s. Now, uh, Jesus plus uh, Jesus plus anything equals nothing. And Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Like just being okay at the end of the day to just have Jesus. Mm-hmm. And if that's enough, then some of these calls to go and love other people, they do become easier. Um, it's still a challenge. It's still hard. So um, I think all of us. So even if it's not the minority of mental health, we all have to really ask ourselves, How are we rightly viewing ourselves? And if it's skewed sinfully or chemically, it comes back to, do I really believe that God's created me Mm -hmm. and that I'm his, and that my identity is in him? And if I can believe that truth, I can begin to put other pieces in place to help me down my road, um, my spiritual journey, I -hmm. think.
0: Yeah, that's good. I think, too, I mean, just one other thought on this subject before we move on would be that, um, you know, Paul gives all sorts of other uh, explanations and ideas around uh, what it looks like to love your neighbor that removes self from the equation. Like, he obviously does say love your neighbor as yourself, but he also says love does no harm to a neighbor. So, okay, we can start there if you want to just remove if you have a hard time with trying to reconcile self like, just take a moment and remo- like come back to it at some point, but remove self from the equation. What does it look like to to uh, love in a way that does no harm, right? That's that's the true love that Paul's talking about. It's going back to Luke 10 and, and remembering the story of the, the um, Good Samaritan and what it uh, – uh, what what that whole story teaches, which is like, man, this neighbor, the person that was a neighbor to this this person, was the one willing to walk across cultural bounds and and engage with this person who would be undesirable and serve them and show up to the one that was near them. So, um, yeah, I think that that's even just a good place to start to say, hey, if you need to for just a moment, remove yourself from the equation. What does it just look like to love from a biblical perspective?
2: And I think too, I like just thinking through it. Um, I'm not saying that people 50 years ago didn't struggle with this too. I hate I, I doing the like only this generation struggles, right? But as a parent, I like I'm so just for it, My son is uh, about to be 10 and he is begging for a telephone. Like he wants a cell phone. All his friends have a cell phone. And my wife and I are just like, no, you're not ready for it. And his question keeps becoming like, well, when will you be ready for it? And I'm like, I don't know. It depends on your maturity, it depends on this, because what I know is the moment that phone gets in your hand, your view of self becomes skewed, right? Like part of our struggle of loving ourselves better as a culture is because of what we've given ourselves access to and it's messed some things up, right? So like as a parent, I'm constantly thinking of this, right? Again, we we still had issues we still had body issues we still had all of those things when we were all growing up Jason. it, it was still there like for sure but it is like magnified mm-hmm. and i'm like man i kids already struggle without all the things i don't want to give him something that ramps up that that then he is questioning and wondering right and so part of me is, as a parent is also like limiting the things that will mess up view of self and protecting myself and even my own self, like getting rid of things that don't add in value in my life, and it, it like if I struggle with envy and jealousy, I should probably not have Instagram because mm-hmm. it only sure. are pictures of everybody's life being perfect, mm-hmm. right, you know what I mean? So, so some of that I always think through too. I think our culture has not done, a, we've not done a bang up job here of taking away some of that, right?
0: Well,
1: and it's so funny. You listen to all the interviews of the people who created this technology, and none of them let their kids on it. So you can Google that up. All of the tech uh, CEOs who help create all of the social media that we use every day uh, refuse to let their kids have it because they know. They know the damage that it does. They know the way that it impacts their kids, and they're protecting them from the thing that they're profiting from our kids so they're profiting off of it with our kids while protecting their own kids from it. So that ought to tell us something. Yeah, yeah,
0: for sure. Um, well, that's all we've got. We just had the one question. So what else, uh, anything else we want to hit on before we land the plane?
1: I do. I think yeah. I want to circle back to verse 11. I just think this is so important. And Josh, you did as much as you could in the time that you had. But I think we could have spent another 10 minutes just addressing this very issue. Like... When he gets to verse 11 and says, and do this, and as you pointed out, do what? And you put the word love on there. We love people, excuse me, understanding the present time. And what is the present time? That the hour has already come. In other words, it's already passed. It's past tense. It has already come. Like, you should have already been awake. This is not your wake-up call. (laughs) The wake-up call came 10 minutes ago, and you kept hitting the snooze button. Is already come for you to wake up from your slumber, because your salvation is near now than when we first believed. Like there is this urgency that He is trying to create for the people in the Roman Church. Like we have to love people because Jesus is coming back, and we got to love Him and we got to stay out of the darkness. So we got to walk in the light because Jesus is coming back. Like you ask the question, like how would you live your life different? Today, if you knew Jesus was coming back tomorrow, and I wish we had time just to sit in that, like, just feel the weight of that. Again, you didn't, we don't get to preach for an hour, so they don't let us do that. But <laughs> if you had the chance to just let people sit in that, to really think through that, how much time would you spend on social media today if you knew Jesus was coming back tomorrow? Would you binge watch another show tonight on Netflix if you knew Jesus was coming back tomorrow? how much would you care about what's in your savings would you spend that money to go help somebody who's in need if you thought Jesus was coming back tomorrow like would you be willing to go have that difficult conversation with your neighbor if you knew like you knew Jesus was coming back tomorrow how, what would you reconcile that broken relationship with With your ex, if you knew Jesus was coming back tomorrow? Would you hold on to that bitterness another day if you knew Jesus was coming back tomorrow? Like that, that's the urgency he's trying to create here. Would you go out carousing tonight if you knew Jesus was coming back tomorrow? Would you give in to that sin again if you knew Jesus was coming back tomorrow? He's trying to push us with an urgency to recognize the night is almost over and the day is almost here. Like, like the, the morning star could rise any moment now. And we ought to be living like that. That's the point he's trying to make here. It ought to impact what we're doing today, to every day have the idea that the skies could split any moment, and Jesus is here. Like, it... The day is, I'm sorry, the night is almost over. The day is almost here. So put aside the deeds of darkness and live in the armor of light. Like, you ought to live differently today because Jesus might come back tomorrow. Like, that's the urgency. Share your faith today because because heaven or hell could start tomorrow. Um, And it could be just because they die. Like, people die Mm -hmm. every day. We were just talking about the... Over the weekend, there were 15 people in Texas who had no idea when they woke up on Saturday that that would be their last day. Some were gunned down, some were run over by a vehicle, but they all entered into eternity. And it's tragic. It's tragic. And that could happen anywhere, anytime, to anyone, like our... Our time on this earth is short, and so the urgency just needs to keep getting ramped up. So, you know, all of the stuff that we've been doing this year, talking about the one, talking about the making more, it was all in a in a desire to up the urgency for evangelism because we don't know. We don't know how long any of us have. We don't know how many conversations we're going to have with people and if you, if you just knew you had 24 hours, what would you do differently? That's the whole point of this text.
2: And just thinking through it, because of our culture and our ways that we do strive to make everything so comfortable, it takes away a sense of urgency from us. Like we really, we don't really think that today could be it because our lives are really comfortable. Like, you know, again, if we're asking this to a different population, most of the population of Christians in the in the world, they really don't know if tomorrow they're gonna wake up because of all of the things that they face. We just don't have that external pressure, let alone an internal pressure that we have to feel. So this may be even harder for again, I'm thinking you saying this to the and Brendan touched on this in his communion message here in Prescott. Like what was going to happen to the people of Rome because of Nero is terrible. We, we don't even have that. We, we make it up to, like, to feel it. We have like <laughs> false persecutions. To, um, I'm like, man, but they, but they really did go, I may stand up and say, Jesus is the Lord today and I'm on the stake tomorrow. And so they really did live like that. And again, like I said in the very beginning of the podcast, their lives reflected that it really reflected that. And again, I think culturally there is such an, uh, just a difference for us. So much of what we do is to avoid, man, we we don't even want to talk about that. Even when you just said that, that you could wake up to to today may be your last day, we go to great lengths to not have that conversation. And then it's also too, well, that's the preacher fear tactic, right? Like that's what you think, you know, like, oh, Jason's just trying to scare us. (laughs) But it's, but it's like the, it is the truth.
1: It's reality.
2: That it yeah. is the reality of where we are. That we don't control time. And so, just an interesting thought of, of what sometimes I think, the struggle is. So how do you, how do then we help remember that? How do we, like I don't want to be a doom and gloom that I'm going to die tomorrow guy. Like I, you know, typically try to be optimistic. But how do I reconcile that? How do I keep that proper perspective in my mind so that I can do what Paul's calling me to do.
1: That's a great question. And again, there's but there are so many of these types of texts. If we would just, again, I think just spending time in the Word gives it to them. I mean, there are several of these, a handful of these texts that point to this exact thing. So, let me just give you one more. Uh, 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 Timoth, uh, Titus 2, starting in verse 11. It says, For the grace of God that has appeared, that brings salvation to all people. So the same salvation. He just said, our salvation is nearer now than when we first began. We're, the salvation has appeared, the grace of Jesus. And what happens as a result of that? It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. So, same thing he said in Romans. When you think about the salvation that has come, now what are we going to do? We're going to live in the light and not in the darkness, we're going to put away the evil deeds. It's the same thing he's talking about here. Verse 13 in Titus 2, while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of the great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Like, again, he puts these things in the same order. The salvation comes. We live in holiness because Jesus is coming. That's this pattern that you see. And there's probably a half dozen of these types of texts in the New Testament that we just have to keep that in mind. And it, it it is one of those things that goes away. We have to make this intentional. Today could be the day. There was an old saying I remember from when I was a kid, probably junior high. And it's an old cliche. You've probably all heard it before. Like, live like you'll die tomorrow and die knowing you'll live forever. Like, that ought to be our mindset. Like, we live like today could be our last day, but then we're not scared of death because we're going to die and no one will live forever. Like, that should be our mindset every day. If we had the right urgency that Jesus could come back today, today could be the day, I guarantee we would all live a more holy life today. If it was on the calendar, our priorities would shift today, our our holiness would go up today. Our urgency for evangelism would go up today if we actually believe that Jesus could come back today.
2: And maybe that's what it is too. It's it's not a win. Like so I'm not trying to circle it on the calendar, but he is going to. Yeah. Like it is a reality yeah. that it is going to happen. Like whether it's tomorrow or 50 years or 25, whatever, he actually is coming back. And I did try to stress that like and it's over, it is done. There is no second chances, there's no do it agains, there's no, oh, hey, my bad, I messed up. Like there is a, a finality to the second coming of Christ and part of it is just you really believing that like as as people and then stressing that, like you said, I'm thinking of people that I know who don't know Jesus, like it's over for them mm-hmm. Like they're gonna face eternal hell because they didn't surrender. And I could have said something and maybe didn't. And that is a... It should, man, hopefully convict all of us, you yeah. know? You got a verse over there?
1: Oh, I got several. <laughs> I see you flipping your Bible over there. First Thessalonians chapter 5, starting at verse 6. It says, so then, because... Because we're not children of the night, because we're children of the day, so let us not be like others who are asleep." But let us be awake and sober for those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up." like. again, it's just the same pattern that because we live in the light, because we've come to know Jesus, live in holiness because Jesus is coming back. Like this is just a pattern. You see it all over the New Testament um, if we just have eyes to see it.
0: Yeah, that's really good. And I think that's a great place to land the plane today. Thanks, guys. We'll uh, chat again real soon. All right. Amen. Well, that is a wrap on episode 38 of the Gospel for Everyone podcast. We're so grateful that you chose to spend this time with us today. As always, if you have any questions or comments from Sunday's message, we do encourage you to join us at quadcity.church slash Romans, where you can submit your questions to be answered right here on the show. And lastly, I wanna end our time considering the same question that Josh asked at the very end of his message on Sunday. What is the Holy Spirit calling you to change, because the time is now? We had mentioned uh, on Sunday morning that we've got a great ministry called Celebrate Recovery that really drives towards hey, how, do we, how do we work through and change the habits, hang-ups, and hurts in our lives around other followers of Jesus just trying to do the same thing. But I'd also encourage you, like this is the very point of our discipleship groups to begin with, If you have any questions or uh, concerns, anything that you want to learn more about regarding both Celebrate Recovery or our discipleship groups, I do encourage you to reach out to the office via email or give us a call. We'd love to help get you connected to one of those two opportunities. Well, thanks again for joining us today. We hope you have a great week and we'll see you again real soon.